text today is from Genesis 6, 5 to 22, 8, 6 through 12, and 9, 8 through 17. The Lord saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, for I am sorry that I've made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. These are the descendants of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. And Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Jebeth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. Now I am going to destroy them along with the earth. Make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark is 300 cubits. It's, excuse me, it's width 50 cubits and its height 30 cubits. Make a roof of the ark and finish it in a cubit above and put the door of the ark in its side. Make it with lower, second, and third decks. For my part, I am going to bring a flood of waters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh in which is the breath of life. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, and your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you will bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds according to their kinds, and of the animals according to their kinds, of every creeping thing of the ground according to its kind, two of every kind shall come in to you to keep them alive. Also take with you every kind of food that is eaten and store it up, and it shall serve as food for you and for them. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. At the end of 40 days, Noah opened the window of the ark that he had made and sent out the raven, and it went to and fro until the waters were dried up from the earth. Then he sent out the dove from him to see if the waters had subsided from the face of the ground. But the dove found no place to set its foot, and it returned to him to the ark, for the waters were still in the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took it and, took it and brought it into the ark with him. He waited another seven days, and again he sent the dove from the ark. And the dove came back to him in the evening, and there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. So Noah knew that the waters had subsided from the earth. Then he waited another seven days and sent out the dove, and it did not return to him anymore. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with him, 
As for me, I'm establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you, that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I have made, that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between you and me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and, and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all the flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. The word of the Lord. I have to thank you, Lois, for reading all that. It's not a short reading and not easy to read in one sitting. So thank you for, for gifting us with that. Well, brothers and sisters, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, in the flood of sin and corruption, protect us in your word. Amen. Well, today marks the beginning of a new cycle for us in the narrative lectionary. And just as a reminder, or for our guests, an explanation of what that means, uh, the narrative lectionary, it's a pattern of readings, and it follows a four-year pattern. And every year, uh, starting in September and continuing till Pentecost in May or June, it follows the big story of the Bible. So beginning in the early chapters of Genesis and continuing all the way through the stories of Jesus and the early church. And each of the four years in this lectionary are focused on one of the four Gospels, uh, first accompanying our Old Testament readings, and then when we get to the life of Jesus in Christmas time through Easter, uh, that's where our stories come from. So last year, as you'll recall, some of you, uh, this was a year focused on John's Gospel, and so we spent the entirety of Christmas through Easter hearing John's telling of Jesus's ministry. This year, it's a year of Matthew, and so it's Matthew's gospel that will be accompanying us through the Old Testament this fall. But today, we begin our year in Genesis 6, with the unmaking of creation in the great flood of the story of Noah. Now, before we get into it, I want to address something that often comes up when talking about these first few chapters of Genesis, and that's the question of how we are to understand stories like these. For many Christians, the only way to understand stories like Noah's flood or the story of Jonah or Job is to understand them as depicting historical events in much the same way as if a reporter was there witnessing what happened and writing it down. For other Christians, these stories are understood to be something like myths or legends, stories that are meant to teach us lessons of one kind or another, but not actually depicting historical events. And, and of course, there's many non-believers who find the incredible nature of these stories to be just simply too much to believe, and so they reject the Bible and sometimes Christianity out of hand. Now, my conviction is this. 
is that there are many faithful Christians who understand this text to be depicting a literal worldwide flood some 4,000 years ago, and that there are many faithful Christians who understand this text to be teaching us truths about God and the world using a sort of a metaphor as a story. Personally, I am not convinced that our reading today refers to a historical flood 4,000 years ago, both because of scientific evidence and because of the way the text itself is written. However, if you hear this scripture as a historical event, that is fine with me. Either way, I believe strongly that the Bible as we have it is the inspired word of God. I believe that the Holy Spirit was active throughout the long story of the writing and the gathering and the organizing of the Bible. And most importantly, that the Holy Spirit uses the Bible today in order to challenge us and comfort us and especially to lead us to Jesus and for the forgiveness of sins he has won for us through his real death and real resurrection nearly 2,000 years ago. Regardless of whether the Holy Spirit wants us to read Noah's text as history or as a mythic truth, it is still the case that this text is God's word for us even today, and that when we listen to it and study it and explore it, we are exploring and studying and listening to God. And so we approach this text not just as a silly children's story, but as God's real and truth-filled word. So regardless of whether the world is 5,000 years old or several billion years old, I am convinced that in these few chapters of Genesis, we learn something about who God is and who we are. So let's take a look at the story. Our reading starts with a pretty grim statement, really. The, the Lord, it says, saw that the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth and that every inclination of the thoughts of their hearts was only evil continually. And the Lord, it says, was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth. And as we continue reading, it only gets worse. We read, the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. And so because God's good and beautiful creation has already been destroyed in God's eyes, in Hebrew, the word corrupt and destroy are the same, God decides to start over from the beginning, to destroy all flesh along with the earth that they had already destroyed. Well, almost all flesh. There's a man named Noah who is called the best of his generation, and he has found favor in God's sight. Now, that word there, which we read as favor, can also be translated as grace or mercy. And it's, it's the same word, uh, for example, that King David uses in Psalm 51 after he's exposed for killing one of his own men to steal his wife, uh, Bathsheba. He prays, have mercy on me, O Lord. It's the same word. Noah has found grace, he's found mercy, he's found favor in the eyes of God. And so God decides to use Noah to preserve a remnant, a remnant of humans and animals in order to restore life on earth after the flood. Now this part of the story we all know pretty well, right? Noah builds this large box-like structure, he makes it seaworthy, and he and his family and many pairs of animals enter into the ark and God shuts them in. Yeah, we hear. And it rains for 40 days and for 40 nights, and then the earth remains flooded for several months until finally the waters recede and the ark comes to rest in the mountains. And after several more months, Noah begins to send out birds as scouts to see if the world is safe now. And finally, a bit more than a year after they entered, God tells them they can go out into the world. And then something strange happens. 
After Noah and his family leave, after Noah makes an offering of thanksgiving to God, God says this to himself, and this is in part of the reading that our reading passed over. God says, I will never again curse the ground because of humankind, even though the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. Nor will I ever again destroy every living creature as I have done. And then, of course, we read toward the end of our reading, God declares this rainbow to be a sign of his promise to never again unmake creation in this way. But I want to go back to that statement that God says to himself. For after the flood, after this whole process, this unmaking of creation, after God has cleansed the world to get rid of human corruption, God's judgment of humanity has not changed. Still, the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth. If the flood was God's way of dealing with sin, it seems to have failed. Sin, violence, corruption, these are so deeply rooted in the human heart that not even the destruction of all but a righteous remnant was able to make much of a lasting difference. And so even though humanity has not changed, God decides to change. God changes how he deals with humanity. In fact, the whole rest of the Bible recounts the story of God's new strategy for dealing with sin. First, God chooses a couple, Abraham and Sarah, and through them, God chooses a nation, the children of Israel. And over the centuries, God relates to his chosen people according to the covenant he established with Abraham. Until finally this covenant reaches its culmination in the Messiah, God in the flesh, the man Jesus Christ, whose death and resurrection does what the flood was unable to do, and through him the power of sin is finally condemned and destroyed, so that we creatures can trust in our Creator for life. And he gives us these benefits through a new flood through a new death and resurrection, through the gift of baptism. 1 Peter 3.21, speaking of Noah and his ark, which saved his family through the waters, says, Baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you. And today we get to witness that baptism given to Opal. For you see, the problem with the flood is not that God was too harsh, but rather that God didn't go far enough. For the depth of human sin is too severe, even in our youth, to be dealt with in any other way than by death and resurrection. And so we gather today to witness as God gives Opal the down payment of this death and resurrection. When the water is poured over her in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, the promise of salvation from sin and death is given. And at that moment, God himself is putting Opal the sinner, it's hard to believe, but Opal, maybe not for her parents actually, Opal the sinner to death and raising Opal the saint to a new and abundant life. And though she will experience the salvation only in a limited way here in this life, the promise is sure and certain, for it is God's down payment of salvation, which will be fully realized in the life to come. And as she grows up and as her parents and as her sponsors tell her about this day, about the day that God chose her and promised her that she belongs to him forever, 
the Holy Spirit will make her to trust in this and to believe in it so that it can be for her an ark in the midst of the storms and the floodwaters of life. For God desires not the death of a sinner, not Opal, not me, not you. But instead, God gives a promise so that by faith in his word, we will be preserved even through death itself in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.